as I alluded to a few moments ago, we're going to look at the first seven verses of chapter one in the prophecy of Nahum. And we will focus on the four references to the Lord that we find in those verses. <coughs> but before we do, we'll just very briefly recap. Last time we, we looked at Nahum, we overviewed the whole um, book. So very quickly, we looked at the f- just five questions, who, what, where, when, and why. And we focused on three of those, uh, namely who, what, and why. So who, as we said last time, this is about God. So there again, that is why we focus on that today. And that's what we're going to focus on today. But it was the who, the primary who was God. It was God revealed. Secondly, we see it was a book by Nahum. So we get uh, an introduction to the prophet Nahum. It was about Nineveh and their judgment. And it was for God's people. And then we looked at the what. What is this book about? Two things that are very prominent here. Firstly and primarily, the nature of God. And secondly, the judgment of Nineveh. And then why is this book um, here for us? Firstly, again, it is a revelation of God so that we can learn more about God, understand him more and therefore glorify him more. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So the more we know about him, the more we can glorify him and enjoy him. Secondly, we see that it was here to remind us that God's enemies will be punished. Here, it's Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire. Uh, In Obadiah, it was the Edomites. But God's enemies will be punished. Thirdly, it was to encourage God's children. This book was written for them. It wasn't about them, but it was for them. So they would be encouraged to see their God revealed in all his majesty and glory and to know that their enemies were being uh, dealt with and it wasn't out of control. And then lastly, it was a reminder that these are lessons that are still valid for us today. So that is a very brief overview of why we looked at the prophecy of Nahum and why that is contained here for us. Um, still today. The burden of Nineveh. As we've seen um, in a previous prophecy, this word burden, it's something that had to be delivered. Nahum could not not do it, if that makes sense. He had to speak the words because they had been given to him. The book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. Now, this is quite interesting because it's been said that this phrase, the book of the vision, means that Nahum literally wrote the book. He wrote it down. It wasn't a spoken word, as so often was the case. The prophets would speak to the people, thus saith the Lord, and then they would pronounce. Here we have the suggestion that Nahum had recorded this and written it down. 
He had written it all down in one, perhaps in one go, and presented it to the people. Very much like a New Testament epistle, a letter to the church. So we're going to look today at the four things that we see revealed of God using the title the Lord. And we see it in blocks there, which means Jehovah. And those four points, if you haven't worked it already, firstly, the Lord revengeth. That's the first point. Secondly, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. Thirdly, the Lord is in the whirlwind. And then the fourth one, verse 7, the Lord is good. So that will tell us a lot about God, even if we just take it literally on those four points without developing them. The Lord revengeth, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, the Lord is in the whirlwind and the Lord is good. We can go home now, we've learned much already, haven't we, about God. And if we can dwell on those four points, we'll be doing well. But we have time and we have more that we can say and so much that we can learn. So the Lord revengeth, verse 2. Read the verse again. God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. If you do something once, fine. If you do it again, it's known as a repeat. And in sporting terms, if you win something a third time, they call it a three-peat. You don't just repeat, you three-peat. And here we have a three-peat, a repetition and a repetition of a point. And each of these times we hear of the Lord's vengeance, an addition is, is given to us. So we understand the Lord revengeth. Then the second time we see this, the Lord revengeth and is furious. And then the third time, the Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. So we don't just have the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious and will take vengeance on his adversaries. Andy mentioned this morning how people often talk of an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. An Old Testament God of judgment. And that kind of feels like this is where we're going here, doesn't it, with this one? But we have to wait and work it all through and understand what we mean and what we understand by vengeance. You can look up a few definitions of um, vengeance in a dictionary. It's quite interesting. One of them that I found, it, it suggests it's a retaliatory punishment for injury or wrong. And it includes with that compensation. Compensation is also factored in, as it were, to vengeance. A retaliatory punishment for injury or wrong. Now, not only Bible history, but secular history tells us an awful lot about Nineveh and about the Assyrian Empire. And one book I was uh, just reading 
the, the guy said he'd been looking into it and he said, he said, I'm not going to give any details, but some of the things that the, the Assyrians did would not have been out of place in Nazi Germany. So we understand how evil this empire was. But when it comes into the Bible, where, where God is particularly focused is when this evil impacts on his people. It's interesting if you talk through uh, and read through the, the history, in the intertestament period, you know, when, in the Greek period, uh, and some of the cruelty that went on there. Antiochus Epiphanes is the one that stands out as the one who was the most evil, but that is because his atrocities were against uh, God's people, perhaps more so than any of the others. But God is ready to take vengeance on those who are his adversaries. The two wrongs, really, of Nineveh, we've touched on this. One, firstly, they turned from God. They turned away from God. And last time when we were visiting Nahum, we we compared it to um, the time when Jonah went to Nineveh some 100 years, perhaps, earlier, and how the people repented in sackcloth and in ashes. And 100 years later, they are ill-treating God's people. They'd taken the northern kingdom of Israel by this point, and they were threatening Judah. They're turned away from God, and they were cruel to God's people. This is why we see the vengeance of God. We looked at a passage in Deuteronomy which talked about God, and we were looking in chapter 32 of the great attributes of God that Moses was singing but then he talks about the nation and how they fell away and how they were backsliding and how God was going to deal with them so he does not distinguish if if the nation of Israel falls away they will be punished as they ultimately were if uh, Assyria um, falls away they will be punished Chapter 32, verse 35, we read these words. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. To me belongeth vengeance. It's not up to uh, Moses to seek vengeance. Vengeance was for the Lord. He will seek vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand. To me belongeth vengeance. And Paul echoes those words in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 12. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written... Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So, vengeance is of God to perform because he has been wronged. He has been offended. He has been mistreated. But it's interesting to note what precedes 
the vengeance from the Lord. The Lord revengeth. The Lord venge- uh, the Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. But what goes first? The Lord is jealous. This is not a petty bitterness like we might be uh, jealous of somebody who has something that's better than ours, has more money than us, has better things than us, is getting more attention to us than us, is doing better than us at work or whatever it may be. It's not a petty bitterness such as this. This is because God is holy and God is pure. In this, in the Ten Commandments we read in, in um, Exodus chapter 20, just read the first few verses to put what comes into its context and God spake all these words saying I am the Lord thy God which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage thou shalt have no other gods before me thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So here we have the giving of the Ten Commandments the moral law. And this is something that we are to strive towards. Moral purity, for want of a better phrase, to strive to be right before God as best we can. And in the middle of all of that, we have this phrase, for I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God. He is jealous of his righteousness, his holiness, his laws, his way of um, moral purity. He is jealous to protect this heavenly, divine, pure standard. And it is on that basis that he revengeth those who turn away from him, those who turn away from his laws, and those who mistreat his people. The basis, then, of this jealous God and this vengeful God come out of the fact that he is holy and he is pure. So this is, again, giving us a bit more of an understanding of who God is, not just in these stark words that we can misunderstand, such as jealous and vengeful, but those stem from his moral purity. We are seeing here, through this title, The Lord Revengeth, we are seeing a moral and a pure and a holy God. The second point then that we see is that the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. That's a very interesting and helpful couplet. Don't think of just the one side of it there. The Lord is slow to anger. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. Having one without the other would not be anywhere near 
as as uh, good a thing. You need to have both. If you're going to be slow to anger, that is a good thing. But then do something with that. Don't just sit and dwell. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. So when the time comes for him to act, he will act and he will not be stopped in his action. We can have plans and things, can't we? And we can even think we've been very measured. I've been very measured. I've thought about this. And now I'm going to do this. But we are thwarted in our ways. We can't deliver on what we intend to do for whatever reason. But God not only is slow to anger, but he is great in power. And now imagine if he was great in power, but was quick to act. He would be well within his rights as a righteous and holy judge and a holy God. But he is slow to anger, giving time for those of us who are sinful creatures. How long had he held back on Nineveh? We don't know. Um, sometime less than a 100 years because they repented and they were spared for that time. But when did they start to backslide? When did their old ways come to the fore again? We don't know. Jesus and the money changers. Here's another example of a man who was slow to anger, but when he acted, he acted in great power and drove the money changers away from the temple, out of there, defiling the house of God. It's not an idle threat. He could do what he wanted to do, and in due time he did. He destroyed Nineveh, and history tells us it was probably about um, maybe 50 years after this that it happened, but it happened, uh, and um, it was destroyed. Not only do we talk about God being great in power, we can use the term, he is omnipotent, he is all-powerful. Noah built the ark. And a period of about 120 years was granted to the people. God was slow to anger, but great in power, and he destroyed the earth. You can read of Josiah and Manasseh, and how Josiah rent his clothes when he saw and read the word of God that was presented to him, and he reformed the land. But God had threatened to destroy the land because of the sins of Manasseh. And Josiah was told that he would be spared his lifetime, but the judgment would still come because of the sins of Manasseh. Slow to anger, but great in power and fulfilled on his promise. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. So we have a focus here, don't we, in terms of the plan for his power. He is slow to anger, but when he acts in his great power, it is not just a random act. It is a focused, deliberate act, and he will not at all acquit the wicked. The guilty will not go unpunished. We don't know the time frames. We might look around and say, why is this happening? Why is this not being dealt with? Lord, why are you not dealing with this? But the answer will simply be, I am dealing with it. 
and I will deal with it in the fullness of my time. It's the same today. The guilty will not go unpunished. We might not see it in our lifetime as we look around and say, can things get much worse? The guilty will not go unpunished. So then who who are the guilty? And we can sort of pick people out and we can pick processes out and laws out and say, these are the guilty. But what we also need to understand and take it down to a very personal level is the guilty are anybody who does not trust in Jesus Christ alone as their saviour. Anybody that does not call upon the name of Jesus is guilty and is an enemy of God and he will not leave them unpunished. And that punishment, as we know, is separation from him for all eternity in hell. The Lord is slow to anger, but he will act and he will act in great power and there will come a day when he will um, judge this earth. The Lord is vengeful or revengeth. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. But it's interesting if you couple those two points together. The Lord is revengeful in his slow anger and in his um, great strength. So we can build a picture here. It is not at all uh, a random act or an uncontrolled act. It is a, a measured, planned all-powerful, unstoppable act. Then we learn more, don't we, as we read on. And it, it comes quickly on the heels of the previous one. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind. Really, we read to the next few verses to sort of build on what we have here. And in the storm and in the clouds are the dust of his feet. Sorry, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea, he maketh it dry. He drieth up the rivers. Bashan languisheth and Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him and the hills melt and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation and who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is in the whirlwind. This tells us two things. Firstly, that God is in control of nature. And secondly, that judgment is coming. We had reference in those verses, didn't we, to the storm, to the whirlwind, to the seas being dried up, the rivers being dried up, mountains quaking, and so on. This reminds us of the God of creation, doesn't it? God made all these things and God controls these things. And it takes us back to our previous point, that God is in uh, great power. great in power. In other places we read of the flood. It's not a natural occurrence. But God is not natural. He is supernatural. The earth was flooded. We read of the plagues. Again, they were not natural